You are listening to Fed by Ravens with Matt and Adam. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Adam. Welcome to day 157 and 158 of our Read Through the Bible in a Year program. Of course, we're not just reading it. We are engaged smack dab in the middle of the oral tradition. We are trying to our best to talk through it all as if, almost in the same way we talk about our favorite TV shows or books that we read with yeah. other kind of geeks, nerds. We're <clears> kind <throat> of Bible nerds, and so we're just so excited about this story. We're glad you're with us. Where are we today? All right. Our Old Testament reading for today is 2 Samuel chapter 9 through chapter 12. Oh, the story takes a sweet turn here. Um, if you can remember back to 1 Samuel, the relationship between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul, was so strong and so um, really affectionate and full of um, commitment and love that David promises to take care of Jonathan. Yeah, and he even made a promise several times to Saul uh, when Saul would chase him and uh, he would finally come to his senses, he actually, Saul asked David, like, would you take care of my family? Right. And David promised to both Saul and Jonathan to take care of their family. So this is, um, I think, one of the great stories. If you remember, it's 2 Samuel chapter 9, and uh, the way I heard it way back when I was in college was this southern pastor who goes, uh, Little Mephibosheth. (laughs) So we were at the Little Mephibosheth. Little Mephibosheth. Had, was made lame. He didn't have any feet that worked right. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Anyway, he went on, and um, but from that great Southern preacher, uh, I have always remembered this story um, because, to me, it is an exact replica of how Christ, how God uh, restores us and how God looks at us for mm-hmm. the sake of Christ. So it says in chapter 9, for the sake of Jonathan. Mm-hmm. And for the sake of Jonathan, David says, I want to show this last remnant of Saul, my enemy, my last remnant of Saul's um, family, kindness. I want to restore land, and I want him to eat at my table. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's always, and then of course Mephibosheth is like, what am I? Like, he's scared. Like, why is the new king calling me? Mm-hmm. What am I? I'm a dog. I'm mm-hmm. nothing. I'm like, I, I'm not of value to your army. I'm not of value to your land. I'm no value because I'm lame. And I'm of the enemy. And so what uh, David does is, for the sake of Jonathan, I'm restoring all this, and you're going to eat at my table like you're one of my boys. And this is what I see. For the sake of Christ, God shows us kindness. He is restoring us to the land. Mm -hmm. And he says, eat at my table as a child. And that's what we do when we do the Lord's Supper. So I just love this whole, it's a short chapter. And... and then it ends with, you know, Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both feet. And I feel yeah. like that's our description at the end of our lives. <laughs> it's like, you know, Adam <laughs> eats at the king's table with God uh, for the sake of Christ, and he was lame. Just morally, spiritually, emotionally, <laughs> physically, Adam did not deserve this great kindness shown to him by Jesus Christ. I do want to... Note uh, another character in the story is yes. Ziba, yeah. who is the Saul's servant, and uh, this is how David even finds out that there's a, 
a child of Saul and Jonathan left. Mm -hmm. And he even restores Saul's servant and says, you will now work all of Mephibosheth's land. You will be his servant. He will be your master. But you and your family will work that land for eternity. Like for as long as this reign is established, you guys will have that land to work. And, and that also ensures like that servant's family, like sharecropping and they get to, <clears throat> they yeah. benefit from working the land as well. And so it's like this sweet, full restoration. Now, I do want to make note that Zeba is going to come back in a later and story. David. Well, the, the, at this point in the story, though, it's so cool because Jesus says, love your enemies. Mm-hmm. And, um, and especially people like Zeba in the house of God, like they've, they're part of Saul. Saul received the covenant sign. Like they're mm-hmm. in the family. You forgive them and you trust the Lord. And so, like, David's able to, uh, in this area of his life, show forgiveness yes. and love his enemy, which um, you, it's kind of putting together some of the pieces for when Jesus does it. You're just seeing, like, oh, this is the ethic. This is the value that God, this is God's heart. So that's a really cool scene. And I think it's all setting up to David's victory. We're coming off of David's victories. David's kingdom's established. He's taking care of Saul's remnants. Mm-hmm. He's just doing everything right. And then... The king of the Ammonites, because he has a deal with um, uh, one of the kings of one of the kings of the Ammonites died, and he dies, and he had a a, a deal a, like a treaty, a treaty with yeah. them, and so he's like, okay, I'll treat his son the same way I treated the right, the and dad. he sends mourners. But to me, uh, the son of this Ammonite king, mm-hmm. I don't know, was his name Hanan or um, uh, yes, Hanan. So what happens is he doesn't trust David. His advisors are like, hey, man. Oh, yeah. They're, they're like, oh, he's not sending you comforters just to send you comforters. He's sending spies he's into spying. the land. This guy's so strong. But to me, what this shows is um, this is how all the other nations, how their kings operate. Yeah. So when the king dies, there's a mad scurry for power. There's mm-hmm. a power vacuum, and everybody's like, um, what do you call hypersensitive to who's trying to take power. And so it makes sense. Like, oh, David thinks we're weak and he's going to attack. I mean, and th- we also saw this within, um, like, the Philistines when right. uh, Samuel died. They okay. uh, made a mad push into Israel. So, like, whenever a country loses a great leader, the other countries around them start to go, ooh, I think we can go in amidst the confusion before I, a reign is firmly established. Right, and it's, that's normal. But I yeah. think, like, God was trying to set <clears> up <throat> his kings is saying, look, we're not going to be like that. Yeah, we have a treaty. If you, I honor it. I'm gonna honor right. you. Now we'll see. Israel can't. They will start acting chaotic and all these yes. things. But, but right the, at least, at least David's like in a healthy place. Going, mm-hmm. oh no, we want to maintain this treaty. So, but what does uh, Hanan do? He does one of the more humiliating things in the Bible. He um, takes the mourner, the guys who are sent to comfort. He shaves half of their face and their head, <laughs> and then he cuts out the crotch of their robes. I know. So they have to go back, like, it's total uh, humiliation, like, uh-huh. showing your private parts, going back, and then uh, David is like, uh, yeah, so, well, here we go. So David, uh, ha- like, meets them, f- hears about this, he has those men, like, stay in Jericho, he's like, you're gonna stay out in this land, and I, I feel like Jericho has not been rebuilt at this point, or at least maybe the walls aren't, um, but they're hanging out there until their beards grow back and their yeah. honor's restored. 
And then that would take me a long time for my beard to grow back. And then, uh, then there's this awesome line where it's like, when the Ammonites saw that they had become a stench to David, they sent for help. Yeah. <laughs> well, of course they became a stench to him because they uh, humiliated him and basically said, "We want to fight you." Well, then they go out, and at this point, the Syrians are like hired guns, right? Mm-hmm. Because Syrians are farther away north, and they don't necessarily care about that land, but they, what they like is loot. Yeah, and the money. And the money. And so um, the Ammonites hire, what, 20,000 Syrians? Uh, and then yeah, um, another 1,000 from a guy named like Makkah, and then another thir- uh, 12,000 from Tob. Tob. Anyway, so there's... Whatever, do the math. 20,000 plus 13. 33,000 plus the Ammonites. And they want like a two-front war with Joab. Yeah. So Joab's like, all right. I just, I kind of like Joab's, uh, it's not too spiritual, but it's just spiritual enough because he's the fighting guy. So he's like. Joab and his brother Abishai are now, they go out to fight the Ammonites and then the Syrians come up behind them, flank them. And so now they are. They have the Ammonites in front of them, the Syrians behind them. Yeah, you're sandwiched. And so Joab splits the army in half and gives one half to the to his brother, and then he leads the other, and then he says an amazing line. Well, he says, yeah, he goes, look, if they're too strong, I will come to you. If mine are too strong, you come to me. But be of good courage. Let us be courageous for our people and for the cities of our God, and may the Lord do what seems good to him. So you kind of see... Joab is not um, doesn't have flowery language. He's the the general, mm-hmm. and so he says it. Though it's good to have your generals go, be of good courage. That's normal. But the Lord will help us, mm-hmm. and may the Lord do what seems good. Like even that is good. Yeah. So then they go and they fight, and it ends up that uh, they don't need to help each other. They humiliate these thirty three thousand men. Yeah. So like the Syrians flee first, and then the Ammonites who had hired the Syrians. Right. They see them running, and they're like, oh, no. And so this is further substantiating <laughs> David's solid rule. I mean, yeah. you can kind of see, like, macro, David is um, starting to take over the whole region. The whole part of the world here now is mm-hmm. fearing David, because David, basically, he takes 40,000 men and 700 chariots, total victory. Mm-hmm. Syria is scared of him now, doesn't want to help the Ammonites anymore. Um, the Ammonites are like, okay, okay, okay. And, uh, and you come out of chapter 10 going, okay, God deals and rewards uh, people. Like, God is taking care of David. Yeah. And even when David's being faithful to people and they respond with evil, mm-hmm. which, by the way, happens to us. We do the right thing. We do good things. And people take advantage of us. And they come at us. And we're like, why, why? But, uh, you know, we got to trust the Lord. And we do right. We do what the Lord puts before us. And the Lord will fight for us. And so good things are happening. All the momentum is... The unity of Israel. Mm-hmm. It's like... He's hes cleaned out the land more than any at any other point of history. Yeah, like, like it's all happening. Mm-hmm. And it's united. And they finally have a king who trusts God. And you see things happening, like I said, macro, but then micro. So like Mephibosheth is kind of a micro thing, you mm-hmm. know? Like, oh, he cares about one person. Oh, he cares about thousands of people. And then the the reason the Ammonites and the Syrians are so important, like the reason you would record this, is because they're on the east side of the Jordan. And so again, that's the territories of Manasseh, Reuben, and Gad. And he's even clearing out and securing the borders of that that territory outside of the Canaan. Which remember, yeah, too, because that's all like butter. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the stuff they took on their way in. Mm Mm-hmm. 
but the real promised land is on the west side of the Jordan. Yeah. And so David's reign, and you have, and it's important to know that the rule of David, we should, we'll say this several times, I think, uh, Israel is at its height of power. It is one of the major world players mm-hmm. under David. Yes. I mean, so they've surpassed Egypt at this point. They're bigger than Egypt. They're bigger than Assyria. They're bigger than the budding oh, yeah. Babylon and all those places. Like, they are at their height. And that's why King David is, you got Exodus and Moses, the biggest event, but then you have the biggest king of all time mm-hmm. throughout history in the, in the history of our people, David. And he's locking down this region. Yes. But he is a human, and we find a weakness in David, which is so sad. Chapter 11. Oof. We've been dealing with David since, like, chapter 15 of 1 Samuel or something. <laughs> since he's 16, and now he's probably somewhere in his, I don't know. I don't know what year this is for him, but yeah. we know he, he rules until he's about 70. Mm-hmm. So he's somewhere in his, uh, probably between... I would want to say 40s. 40s, and... In the springtime, the spring, everything's blossoming, you know, the, the weather's rain, beautiful. The rain is gone, so you can actually march troops right. around, so this is wartime. Right, so David sends Joab and his servants out to go do uh, do the war thing. Yeah, and... Secure secure your lines and take, you know, remind the Ammonites that, that you're in charge. Normally, kings would go along with them, especially David. Right. I mean, David was a warrior through yeah. and through, and so he's usually out there with them. And if and if the king's not out there with them, whoever the commander is, usually the, if he has a victory, the victory is attributed to the commander. Right. Like this is what we saw with David and Saul, is if Saul, or if David won some victories apart from Saul, and so that's why the song was Saul won, killed his thousands, and David's one killed right. his ten thousands. So. <clears throat> kings usually go out to secure their kingdom. Right, and we'll actually see that in this section where Joab wins a battle and says, hurry, come and claim it, otherwise mm-hmm. it'll be claimed to me. So David is not where he's supposed to be. Yeah. That's and, the key. And there. it's late in the afternoon, mm-hmm. he's relaxing, taking in a beautiful day, and, and really what you see is being king has gotten to him. Mm-hmm. His defenses are down. He's not like pursuing the Lord because things are good. And that's why yeah. Jesus says like, it's hard for the rich yes. to enter the kingdom of God because when you feel that you can secure your life and you have everything locked down and everything's good because you have money, you have a good job, you have a good marriage, a good looking wife or husband and mm-hmm. kids are perfect. This is when the enemy uh, gets you because you no longer feel you need the Lord. And so David looks, sees Bathsheba and then just acts like a, a king who is not under the reign and rule of God mm-hmm. and says, I want her. There's no need for David to want mm-hmm. her. He has many wives. He has concubines. Mm-hmm. But this is something he wants. He gets her. She's just finishing her, um, per- her time of, mm-hmm. of uncleanliness. So like after a woman menstruates, you have like seven days. Yeah, so I've always heard this like, Oh, she was not where she was supposed to be, but she totally was where she no, was supposed she was. to be. Yeah. She was like so she's ritually cleansing herself. Yeah. Like she's bathing. This is what she's doing. She's following she's actually following the laws of God. Right. And David sees this and takes advantage of it. Yeah. And so uh he takes advantage of it, calls her in, and it's very quick. Uh he lays with her, and then there are immediate consequences. 
Yeah. She was not pregnant. She just finished proving she, she was, was not, not pregnant, pregnant, and now she is pregnant yeah. because of what David did, and David thought he could just get away with it. And then you kind of see the, um, the cycle of sin. Even going back to Adam and Eve, the first thing you do is you hide. Mm-hmm. You cover up. And yes. so you cover up your nakedness, your shame. You're no longer open in the presence of God with all you say and do. And so this is what we do. But David uh, walks through the whole thing of death, which is, I'm going to hide it. And he then he's like, okay, um, let me get Uriah back. Let me yeah, uh, so tell her Uriah. Husband, yeah. Her husband Uriah was out in the field. He was where he was supposed to be. Yeah, and he's like super loyal and a and fighter. He's, and he's not even uh, an actual part of Israel. Like he comes from uh, the Hittites, I think, right? He, he was Uriah the Hittite? Yeah. yeah. So he was a Hittite that converted to, um, to Israel. Wow. He's converted to God. Uh, and so he comes in, and again, one of the things that, if you remember the showbread incident where mm-hmm. David went to the priests and asked for bread, and they gave him the bread of the presence of in front of God. And so one of the questions that the priest asked was, are your men clean? And so when you are fighting, you're supposed to abstain from all sexual activity. Right. Um, and so Uriah is, he's like, I'm still part of the army. I came in to give report to David. That's why. Because David called him in basically to set him up and say, look, this is your baby. <clears throat> yeah. So have a night with your wife. So have a night but with your U- wife. Uriah is so committed. Mm-hmm. He actually has what kind of reflects David's heart. What yeah. David's heart was, he's mm-hmm. one of David's guys, but David's caught in a sin right mm-hmm. now. And so Uriah's like, I'm not going to do this. Like the Ark of the Covenant is here. I'm, I'm set apart to be a warrior. I'm not going to sleep with my wife. Mm-hmm. So then the next night, David tries to get him drunk. And then what does Uriah do? He like sleeps at the king's door. He's like, yeah. I'm not going to, even when I'm drunk, I'm not going to do this. So then David's, again, having to hide and go solve this problem on his own. Mm-hmm. So you know in your life, when you're having to hide things and try to solve things on your own, it's usually trouble. And uh, so he says, Joab, you got to put Uriah, lead him right up to the enemy and then back away from him. Mm-hmm. Kill him. So... Uh, Kill him with the sword of the Ammonites. Yeah. And so then he... I mean, what's even more twisted about this is he writes it in a letter to Joab, seals it, gives it to Uriah to deliver to Joab. Right. So Uriah has to deliver his own death sentence unknowingly. And and what's so weird is he can trust Uriah not to open it (laughs) because he's like such a faithful servant. But that's what makes David mad. Like, oh, you're so faithful. Because that's what happens. We start to hate the people of God. We start to... You know, you just sin works fast mm-hmm. and furiously because um, we're already primed for it. Mm-hmm. And so, anyway, they end up killing uh, Uriah. And and I did note we were talking about the the secret message, much like the secret message between Jonathan and David. Yeah. So see, Saul was going after David. Yeah. Jonathan had a special message. Now David has a special message with Joab, but he's in the Saul position. David yes. is the killer. Yes. And uh, they bring up Abimelech. Who was the oh, son of Gideon, yeah. who killed all of his brothers. So I looked it up. Uh, I was like, oh yeah, Judges 9, mm-hmm. Abimelech, son of Gideon, kills 70 of his brothers so he can be the next unofficial king, because mm-hmm. there were no kings yet. Mm-hmm. And then they're using this story about how he died by being too close to the wall because a woman killed him. Yeah. And I'm like, why is this story even being mentioned? And I realized, oh, it's because David and Joab are now kind of conspiring together to be more like Abimelech. Yeah. which is killing their own brothers to secure their own power, mm-hmm. to cover up their own sin, mm-hmm. their own lust. And so lust gives birth to death here. 
So uh, <laughs> this is all pretty awful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then... Uh, uh, yeah, it, so. dis- it displeases the <clears throat> Lord. Yeah, so and David... Even here, I'm just thinking it's relational. Like the relational mm-hmm. part of this is God is displeased now with his king. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Bathsheba hears about the death of her husband. She laments and mourns. And then when the mourning's over, David just is like, you're going to be my wife now. Yeah, and we're going to have a child. Yeah, which, gross. Yeah, just a very disappointing, when, very awful scene. But before the child, so is it, um, does Nathan come before, Nathan rebukes him before the child is born, so. Um, I don't know, actually. I mean, it said in chapter, we went through chapter 12, right? So 12, mm-hmm. uh, you're right, it says uh, David sent and brought her to his house, so that's the end of 11. And she so, bore him a son. So I'm not sure because the end of um, yeah I think it's I think it's a little baby I think it's a little toddler. Well, it says I mean before the eighth day the child died before the eighth day. Oh, so it was just born. So I'm yes, thinking yes, Nathan yes, yes, yes. Nathan yes. comes like towards the end of the I'm thinking like right around the time of pregnancy. Yes. So it's been okay. about let's say eight months, right? Yes. Yes. Um, or at least six months later. So David's living with his sin, and then Nathan shows up, which is good. Like. This is why, like, church is so important, Mm -hmm. right? I know we all get upset with church and think we don't need it. But the truth is, you need it. Because at some point, someone who loves you will say, Hey, why are you doing that sinful stuff? And I do want to point out, Nathan... This is is something I never thought about before. Is Nathan, like, clearly was for David. Yeah. Like, in all the other previous stories with Nathan, like, Nathan was the one who... When David's like, I want to build a house for the Lord, Nathan just over eagerly is like, the Lord is with you. Do whatever's in your heart. Go for it. You're the man. And now Nathan has to, because God has revealed what's going on to him, he has the courage and the love to actually go to David and give him this really hard lesson. And so what I like, though, is David, first of all, keeps the prophets around. Yeah. So like even in your sin, keep the word of God around you. Mm -hmm. It's It's a fail safe. But then Nathan shows up, and if you've ever watched the Veggie Tales on this, remember oh, Veggie Tales? There's yeah, a great yeah. song. I remember Veggie And so Tales. Nathan, yeah, he's like, there once was a man, a very rich man. Yeah. Anyway, it's a great, great song. But um, Nathan shows up and says, presents a story that reminds me a lot of Nabal, the fool yes. who didn't take care of David mm-hmm. when his 600 men and then Abigail and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, essentially, Nathan tells this story of a rich man who steals the lamb of a the, what, this poor man has one lamb that he treats as a child. The rich man steals it, uh, takes it, offers it to a, a person traveling by, and David gets so mad because David actually got mad at Nabal for this. Mm-hmm. Like he knows that's so wrong. Mm-hmm. That rich man should not have done that. And then, um, as soon as Nathan sees how mad he is, he says, "Oh, uh, David." Thou art the man. It was Papa Pa Grape. Or something <clears throat> yeah, like it was Pa Grape. Pa Grape sings that line. But he says, "You are the man, David," and that's the moment. This is a, a beautiful example of like law and gospel. And so yes. Nathan loves him, but he's like got to lead him into realizing, dude, you've rebelled against God you and you, you've messed up. And it doesn't matter what Nathan thinks or anybody else. You have to know this, David. Mm-hmm. And so when he says, "You are the man," the the sign of life. Um, the sign of life is actually, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. So David hears that you are the man, and then he hears from God. 
Mm-hmm. Like, hey, I gave you everything. I've been with you. And he, he hears, like, all the truth. And, uh, and the good news for David is he says, oh, God, forgive me. I've sinned. He yeah. finally says, I have sinned. He hears all this. And, and God actually says, look, I've taken care of you. I've done all this. But here's what's going to happen to you now. Mm-hmm. You, he, and he says, you have done this in secret. But a lot of bad stuff now is going to happen in your reign. And it'll be public. And it's not going to happen in secret. And so God, <clears throat> God says, and part of me is like, why, God? Why would you say there's going to be, like, incest and there's going to be, like, kind of rape stuff happening in my house and the sword will never depart? But then you realize God's saying, yeah, this is going to happen, not just because God's saying I want it to happen. No. But he's saying this is what you've sowed now into your family. Yeah. The people around here know what's going on. Yeah. There's a lot of natural consequences. There's little ears and eyes watching, and now all these kids you're having are going... They didn't need much encouragement to go, oh, here's how kings act. Mm-hmm. They already feel that power, mm-hmm. and now you're like saying, yeah, it's okay to act this way. And so that's an earthly consequence. Yeah, and then by taking another wife and having another child, you've just introduced another rival to the throne. Like You've yeah. just done a lot of things that are bearing natural consequences. The thing I love, though, yeah. is... Well, we here's have, the gospel. That's the law. Yeah, the, law the law is there's consequences There's natural to this. consequences You just please the Lord. How are you mm-hmm. going to respond? And he says, I've sinned. Yeah. Great. Now you're ready. See, repentance paves the way for healing. Mm-hmm. And now you're ready for the gospel. And yes. so tell us the gospel. The gospel is, the Lord has put away your sin and you shall not die. There it is. Uh, Verse 14, yeah. The law, the law in Leviticus and Deuteronomy state very clearly, like, if you commit adultery... You die. Yeah. If you kill someone else, you die. die so right. like David, under the law, had every right to die. So there is And especially as a king <clears throat> yeah. who is supposed to uphold these things, like you die. So there is like great forgiveness here in the fact that the Lord spares his life. Um, well, but there's still natural consequences yeah. to these actions. And he says, Nevertheless, by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord. The child who is born to you shall die. Right. I, I I just, uh, I think the gospel part of it, the good news is you won't die. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, in our lives, we live in two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. And in the kingdom of man, it's full of sin and consequences of sin. In yes. the kingdom of God, our cons- through repentance, we receive and we rest in the absolution. That is, we believe that we're forgiven and we mm-hmm. are uh, because of the work of Christ. And so you see it work out for David here. Um, but he's going to live with the results. And immediately what happens is this child. And mm-hmm. so, but it snaps, it does what it's supposed to do. See, like when someone says, I've been rebuked several times in my life or someone who cares for me says, hey, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And it hurts at first, but I'm very thankful for it because it it snaps me back into who I actually am. Yes. I am a man of faith yes. and you are a person of faith. And so don't try to rid your life of people who would be honest and people who love the Lord, even if they annoy you and you're like, oh, goody two-shoes. Mm-hmm. But I don't even know if anyone says that anymore. But, um, but David snaps back and he says, uh, okay, I'm back. I love the Lord and uh, I'm going to live for the Lord. And so he starts praying and fasting for this child. And then all the servants, uh, the child dies and they're scared to tell him because they're like, oh, he's been going crazy. Usually you don't fast until the person's dead. Mm-hmm. But David's response here is a response of faith and how we use prayer, which is, he says, who knows? Like, uh, who knows? I was asking the Lord to save this child. Mm -hmm. I know that it was going to die. I know these things, but I was praying and fasting and saying, please, God. 
and um, and but, now that he's dead, <clears throat> I understand. And so why would I continue to to fast and mourn? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and because he realizes I can't bring him back, and so yeah. he accepts like the reality. He just deals yeah. with the situation. Yeah, you got to walk happens. through it now um, and realize that you're still even through this horrible horrible time of losing a child the grace of God is still with him and he knows that and we have to know that too um, but we're allowed to take our complaints before God and we pray and we fast and and uh, we trust the Lord but we are living in consequences of mm-hmm. sin uh, are all around us and I think it's helpful to realize that all the sickness and all the sadness that we actually you know we don't deserve it by what we do necessarily now but we deserve it because we were born into it. Mm-hmm. So it's like, uh, we need God to reverse it, the eternal consequences, and we ask him, even the temporal consequences, mm-hmm. the immediate consequences, and so we're allowed to. And he uh, acts, and we trust him. And then this next section uh, on verse 24 and 25, I think, yeah. I feel like it's God's grace grace, and yeah. good news to the two other characters in the story, Bathsheba mm. and Nathan. And yeah. so now you have um, Bathsheba, who's lost a husband, is in this weird new marriage, just lost a child, yeah. and now she gets another child, and the and I love, it says, the Lord loved him and sent a message by Nathan. So Nathan, who had to deliver this really hard message right. from God, now gets to send a new message from God about this child, the second ch- son from Bathsheba, and says... Um, and he says, the Lord loves this child that you just bore, Solomon, and the Lord calls him Jedediah. So does he give, does Nathan give, like, God has a real name for each of us? Yeah. So he goes by Solomon, mm-hmm. but the Lord will know him as Jedediah. Jedediah beloved of the Lord. Dude. Mm-hmm. That's a great name. I'm going to name an animal that. Which is, I, I just love the idea that God is also caring for everyone else in this story. And restoring them. Yeah. And even David, he's restoring them. Well, and then it finishes. So, like, the neat little um, end to this section. And we don't always get these sections perfectly like this. But it ends with uh, another victory where Joab gets a victory over the Ammonites Mm -hmm. and says, David, come out. I want this to be your victory. He gets to come out, wear the big crown that they take from Mm -hmm. the Ammonites. They, They win all these things and then get a bunch of slaves out of it. And so it, this whole section kind of starts with victory over the Ammonites, well, kindness to Mephibosheth, mm-hmm. victory over the Ammonites, moral failure, but repentance and gospel and consequences, but we're back to where David, we're supposed to be. You were, we're where we're supposed to be. And the hope for us through David now, an adulterer and a murderer, like the two mm-hmm. things we don't want to do, um, <laughs> you know, there is a shot of restoration and God's grace still works, and it works through the places that God sets up. So it works through his prophets, through his word, Mm -hmm. through announcing the forgiveness for those who repent. And David, thank God, as a king, still is in a place of repentance. Mm. So then we'll see what happens Mm -hmm. next time, right? Because his drama is far from over. It really is. All right. Let's go somewhere a little more... uh, Redemptive? Redemptive. Our New Testament reading for today is Acts chapter 3 through chapter 4, verse 22. Well, we are with Peter. And John. And the boys, yep. And uh, <clears throat> and they're still 
going to the temple for prayer. Right. I'm pretty sure they're not doing sacrifices anymore, but they still go to the house of God to pray and like just be around God, be around the things that God said he was. Yeah, there's still the the apostles are and will be around the places where God has made himself known mm-hmm. until the Holy Spirit shows up and says, well, they yeah. The Holy Spirit has already showed up, right? Yeah. It says, go to Jerusalem, Samaria, and the uttermost yeah. parts of the world. So the Holy Spirit has showed up and says, now you're going to gather around my word mm-hmm. with my spirit and my people, and we're going to slowly take over the whole land, mm-hmm. not by violence, uh, but with the sword of the spirit through baptism and the Lord's Supper. So through cleansing, um, we're going to bring the highest, most holy place of God to people through the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. that one has gone before us, now bringing the Holy of Holies in us so that we are the temple of God. But in the meantime, we're still going to use the temple because it's a place of God. Mm -hmm. And so that's where they're going. And the whole thing is just beginning. And so Peter and John are going at noon, and they see a guy lame, um, a little Mephibosheth of sorts. Yeah. And I love the, uh, he's getting ready to ask for money, and uh, Peter says to him, look at me. Mm-hmm. Look at me straight in the face, and I think about that. Um, you know, you're, I don't know. You don't have kids, Matt, yet, but no. my kids, when I when I want something to happen, oh yeah, I'm like, hey, look at me. Well, I teach kids a lot. So. You teach, yeah, you know, like <laughs> they'll happens. walk away, or it happens on a soccer game. Yeah. Like the guy gets a yellow card and he walks away, and the ref has to like chase him, make sure he sees the yellow. Look yeah. at me, yeah. And it's a, it's so there's a bit of a submission. There's a bit of a, do you trust me? Mm-hmm. Let's do this together. Mm-hmm. Here's what's happening. And um, so he says, look at me. And then in the name of Jesus Christ, instead of giving him, he's like, I don't have silver or gold. But I, lo- I wish I could do this for every homeless, like, homeless person or person we see on the road that's asking for money. Like, look at me. Mm-hmm. In the name of Jesus Christ, I heal you. Get mm-hmm. up. Um, I just don't know what the healing needs to happen for those people. Like a lot of people come to my door. <laughs> it's like, uh, but anyway, that, that's me working out my own stuff. Yeah. He heals him. Yeah. And this starts, starts a whole chain. Uh, this is used. A healing, once again, in Jesus' name, is going to expose the wickedness and the sickness of the religious system. Yeah, so it system. is, it is an, it's amazing, like, symbolically, too. Like, the healing happens right outside the temple. It should be a, he- a great <clears throat> thing. Like, our temple's the best. And it, but it's right outside, right? Right. And so this man, he's crippled, so he's not allowed in the temple... Yeah. Uh, and so he is healed, and then he is then led into the temple, into the place that he was not allowed in, and he's praising God, leaping for joy, clinging to Peter. Because healing is spiritual. <clears throat> like, mm-hmm. forgiveness of sin is a healing. And, and then all of a sudden this crowd starts to gather around, and so Peter moves out to the outer uh, courtyard called Solomon's Portico, which is where even the Gentiles could gather. And so he gets like a nice big crowd and then addresses the crowd as this yeah. lame man who's, who's like, I think he's 40 years old, so he's been around for a while and everyone knows like who this guy yeah, is. Yeah, that's how it ends. It ends with he was 40 and years so, old. And so everyone's like looking going, what is this? And so then he addresses and then he kind of just re-gives like a quick little history. Oh man, Peter is so cool here. Like, Peter totally gets it now. The Holy Spirit yeah. has come upon Peter, and he's connecting with boldness mm-hmm. to the point where, I mean, he goes back to Abraham, God. I mean, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
I mean, he goes all the way back. And he basically, I mean, he straight up says, you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murder to be granted <laughs> yeah. to you. You killed the author of life. I mean, he's, he's doing what Nathan did to David mm-hmm. kind of times 100 without the personal relationship. He's just saying, look, you killed him, the author of life, but God raised him. And so we're witnesses to this. Mm-hmm. And because they ask, like, um, is this where they ask by what authority? I think they're going to do that later. But he just straight up says, in his name, he has made this strong. It's like through the name of Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Yeah, which is awesome. So, because everyone else is kind of looking to Peter to see like, oh, so how'd you do this? Did you do it in your name? But it's like, no, I did this in the name of Jesus, the guy you killed. Right. He's and, still around. And they would prefer him to say his name because yeah. they know, oh, good. If we it's in your name, him. you'll die and no one will follow yeah. and just another movement. But Peter straight up says, repent, therefore, uh, that your sins may be blotted out and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, oh, yeah. that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. I mean, he's so clear. Mm-hmm. Like the way to receive salvation and forgiveness is to repent. That's like to condemn your own sins and say, oh, I need Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I, you will receive refreshing. It. But he keeps going on because he talks about the restoration of all things. He quotes Moses, mm-hmm. that beautiful passage where Moses says, there's going to be another prophet coming. Here's the prophet. Mm-hmm. I mean, he goes on, he even goes to Samuel and talks about the, the, all the prophets who talked about this. So for Peter and the apostles, Jesus' death and resurrection mm-hmm. is intricate. It's woven so tightly into the Old Testament yes. that um, it's a shame. He's basically saying, look, we, are, we were called to be a, a kingdom of priests, we're the ones who are supposed to announce this prophet, priest, and king mm-hmm. because he's saving us. And so if we don't know it, we are the worst of all. Mm-hmm. We, this is what we're called to do. And they understand that. Um, the leadership understands that. That's why they're so mad. Because he's like, because Peter's saying, God's raised up the servant. Yeah. And it's Jesus Christ. And we're the servants. We're the ones who are supposed to be announcing this. We're the special nation, but it's for all nations. Mm-hmm. And so we get... The classic response from the Sadducees, yeah. from the leaders of the temple. Yeah. So we get this amazing miracle happening outside of the temple, but the inside of the temple responds with frustration, anger, and violence. Because they don't agree with the theology. <clears throat> like, we mm-hmm. don't believe in resurrection. These guys are talking mm-hmm. about resurrection. And then the, the Pharisees are mad because they keep talking about Jesus' name. Mm-hmm. And so they, they come out and they arrest uh, Peter and John. <laughs> And they put him into custody. But uh, it, then in verse 4 it says, But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. Right, so it's just 5,000 men, not counting their fam- count yeah. their families. Yeah, so, so just multiply boom, it. like sales are up. 10,000, 15,000, who knows. Yeah, um, Yeah. everything's going wrong for the leadership. They, they sense that they're losing. They thought this would be over with the death of Jesus. Mm-hmm. But and it's, so now it's we not see, dying out, and they're so mad. We see the priesthood get called back in again. So we have Annas. The fake high priest. No. Wasn't uh, he the, the... Yes, 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 yes. He's yes. the, uh, what yeah. do you call it when you he get was the former. Yeah, he was the former high priest, and then we have his sons, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, who are the current high priests. Uh, funded by Rome. Yeah. And uh, they... Their question is they so telling. By what power or by what name did you do this? Because they're wondering the authority. See, the mm-hmm. name, they're still wondering, like, what, who gave you power to uh, 
forgive sins because you're in their minds. I think it's, I, I believe it's all connected. So back in the mm-hmm. ancient mind, physical and spiritual are more connected. Oh yeah. Totally. And so when you heal somebody, you're, it is the same as forgiveness of sins. Mm-hmm. Like Jesus even says, it's forgiveness of sins and healing. What's the difference? I'm, I'm reversing the curse of sin and death. Mm-hmm. And so the authority, and they're hoping they say, Oh, I did it. I got lucky. Mm-hmm. I did it in my own name. Mm-hmm. What they're fearing is what exactly what Peter says. <laughs> He's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he gives them a little lesson. He's like, oh, you're concerning this good deed? You're wondering what authority, like who said I could heal him? Yeah. And how did I do it? Well, let it be known to you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you. And then he goes on, the stone that's rejected. And then he just gets very clear. There is salvation in no one else. I know. For there is no other name <laughs> under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. See, it's, for Peter, like just the name of Christ carries mm-hmm. th- power and authority. And I think it still does. We heal, we pray in the name of Jesus. That's why when we hear on TV and movies and people use Jesus' name as a curse word, oh, yeah, it's yeah. completely messed up. Yeah. It's a blessing. This name is powerful and a blessed name, yeah. not a cursed. But anyway, they saw, and one of my favorite lines in the Bible I aspire to, they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men. They were astonished, but they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Yeah. I love that. So that's our Clearly, thing these guys have been with Jesus. You've spent time with Jesus, clearly, because you're acting mm-hmm. like him. And we know you're uneducated. We can look at your clothes and hear your accent. We know you're from Galilee. And this is like every minister of the gospel. It's like, clearly we are uneducated, silly, goofy men. Mm -hmm. And yet we've spent time with Jesus and um, you can tell that too. And then, but they see the man who was healed. They know who he was and they don't know what else to say. And so they confer with one another, trying to figure out like, what, what do we do with them? This sign's been performed. Thousands of people saw it. Yeah. We can't... It's the same problem they had with Jesus. They're, yeah. They're, here they are. They're like, why is this continuing? We're, we killed the guy, but now we're finding ourselves in these situations again where we need to get rid of these guys, but we can't because the crowds all saw what happened. And they're believing in Jesus. How do we kill Jesus again? Yeah. And the more it grows, the more we can't... We've already killed Jesus once. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and So they just decide... Look, we'll just order them to not talk about Jesus anymore. Because their authority means so much. And Peter and John are like, okay, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And so they, they threaten them some more, but then they just let them go. Well, it's in the irony, too. It's like, you guys are the religious leaders. Yeah. And do you want me to obey man or God? Yeah. It's like a trick question. Back. What, to what do you want? Because we're going to obey God. And they're mm-hmm. just like frustrated. Like, ugh. They let him go. No way to punish them. And all it did was um, stir up all the people. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, when you see the authority getting, um, getting nervous about Jesus, you're starting to realize, oh, this thing has power. And look at not only power politically, but look at the man who was healed. He was 40 years old. Yeah. It's not like yeah. you just shook him and some of the wiring inside of his body <laughs> reconnected. And uh, it's like, this is a work of God. We want to know this God. Mm-hmm. So this is some of our history. How we're here today is by the testimony 
and the power of Jesus' name. And last thing I do want to say, if it's always, you can always tell when someone's authentic, it's about Jesus. If it becomes about another person, yeah. it becomes about the charisma of a leader, or I'm so great, uh, he must increase, I must decrease. The power is in Jesus' name, not mm-hmm. in anybody else's. Boom. Today I'm going to read Psalm chapter 71, verses 1 through 8. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You have given the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have learned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. I have been as a portent to many, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise, and with you glory all the day. Boom. You've just been fed by ravens. Go in peace and serve the Lord. We'll talk to you next time.